But uh, just to tell you, starting off parts of era, it's not it's not an easy thing to understand what was going on here. So let's go. First of all, what was the point? What was the point of the makos? Like, why do we have to have them in? Uh, I don't know. Why does it have to be? First of all, like this in this order. And why does it have to be? Uh, why does it have to be split up? Like Rabbi Yehuda, we know how you know Rabbi made made them certain acronyms for us to remember them by by remembering their first letters of each name. Damsvardekinim is known as Tzach. Arov Devershchin is Adash. And Beachav we know is Barad Arba Choshech and Bechoros. Bechoros. Bechoros we're going to sort of put to the side a little bit. Bechoros happens to be a different Maka than anything else, and we're really going to discuss that next week because Arba Choshech Makas Bechoros. In Parsha's bow, the first seven are in this week's Parsha. But the Kliyakar says that uh, the Mitzrayim denied Hakadosh Baruch Hu in three different ways. You know, the three different ways where they said that God does not exist and He doesn't exist within the world. Number one, He He doesn't exist. The simple simple shot that He doesn't exist. There is no God. There's no God. There's Mother Nature, maybe. There's always the guy who's in charge of nature, whatever that means. But there's no God. There's no God. Did they acknowledge their own Pharaoh, etc. Deities? deities, yes. They had like the sheep and the Nile River as well as Paro. Yes, they definitely. Acknowledge but them, not but not Hakadosh Baruch Hu, Not applying, not applying anything to Hashem. They said that somebody who's that far up does not exist. Number two, even if he did exist, he's not Mashkiach Tishvalo. Meaning he doesn't care about us. He couldn't care less what's happening in this world. If there is somebody who originally created the world, he lost interest. There's nothing there. They said they said that. Number three, even if he did care, and he does care even now, he still can't change nature. Nature has a power into itself. There's no way that God would be able to change nature. So the point of these makos were to knock down these three theories of the Egyptians. All these three theories. The first one is number one. He said that God isn't around. So Ditzach is trying to prove that Hashem is God. Dom is to show you, first of all, they thought that the Nile River was God. Knocks down the Nile River and says, mix into blood. Svardea is... He shows you that even the frogs are willing to be Moser Nefesh for Kiddush Hashem, that they're willing to give up their lives to make a Kiddush Hashem in front of their people by throwing themselves into ovens, by willingly sacrificing themselves, by jumping into Mitzrayim's throats and killing themselves inside the body of the Mitzri. They're, they're willing to do anything, all because the Kaddish Baruch Hu wanted them to do it. A regular frog would never do such things, they would never jump inside ovens, but these frogs were doing it in order to do what God wanted them to do. And number three, Kinim is a famous one, showed that a Kaddish Baruch Hu was around, that even the Khartoum Paro, the magicians of Paro, were able to replicate in a way Dam and Svardea the blood and the frogs but when it came to the king of the lice he wasn't able to do anything the Khartoumim even they said Et Balokimi this is the finger of God there's nothing else going on here but the finger of God this is unbelievable what we're seeing right now and they were convinced as we'll see so far that they turned into er- the Erevrav the Erevrav that joined the Jews on the way out of Mitzrayim that these Khartoumim turned into them Adash is trying to prove that Akadosh Baruch Hu does care about us that okay he's proven God is in existence there is a God in existence and the Khartoumim said the magicians of Paro said there is a God. But, is he mashkiach tishvalim? Does he really care about us? Does he really care about us? For that we have a dash. All four, three of these things, Arov, Dever, and Shechin, were individual things where the wild animals came down to Mitzrayim, only affected the, the Mitzrayim and not the Jews. Specifically affected the Mitzrayim and not the Jews. Now, as opposed to, Damsarede and Kinan. Because even though the Jews had water, they still saw the river as being blood. It was still a disgusting thing to look at. Svardea was still an extremely loud noise. Kinan was still everywhere. It might not 
might have affected them directly, but indirectly, they couldn't go by Mitzrayim and all of a sudden there'd be an opening in the lice in front of them. The lice were still there, they just couldn't go near Mitzrayim. It did affect them indirectly. Arov, Dever, and Shechin were three things that did not affect the Jews whatsoever. That the Jews would be walking around, wild animals would not chase after them. Dever would go around, the Dever, the plague against the animals would go around, kill only the Egyptians' animals, but not the Jews. And Shechin, the boils that went all over their bodies, was something that only happened to the Egyptians, no matter how close the Jews were to the Egyptians, never happened to any of them. So we see that a Kirshba who does care that it happens to some and not to others. So he is Mashkiach Bishpal and he does care about what's happening down here and he takes care of the things that are down here. That's a dash. The last one is Be'ach, Be'ach. I realize there's a Be'achav. The last Be'choros, but we're skipping out of Makas Be'choros for now. The last three are all trying to change nature completely. They say that God can't change nature. I'll show you what he can do. There's really no rain in Mitzrayim. The amount of rainfall that happens in Mitzrayim is like a point zero one per, you know, point zero one thing of, uh, of rain per trimester, whatever they're called. It's like there's barely any rain. If it rains, it's already like, what in the world? They don't need it. The Nile River is such an overpowered, it's such, such power to be able to water the entire ground. There's no need for rain. Kirshbah who changed it and made it into borrowed. Not only did he give them rain, but okay, let's see what he gave them. Little meteors. That's one. Arbe, the locusts. Locusts, I can completely understand. This seems to be something natural. But the amount of locusts that came and the amount of different types of locusts that came, what we'll go through next week, is absolutely unnatural. There's no way they would work together. There's no way that all these types of locusts will work together. As we'll explain, that's totally unnatural. And Choshech is completely unnatural. Causing a darkness in which you can't move for three days, completely unnatural. All these three things are changing nature, changing it around so that even during the daytime there's this crazy darkness. All these three things are to change nature around. Again, the threes are always a chazaka. It happens to be a very good question, but you always prove something by a chazaka. You do three things, you know, once you have, like, for example, like we explained in Tam and Muad. A Tam is only, eh, maybe it'll do it. Even the third time, maybe it'll gore. But once it gores a third time, you know this is a goring axe. You know this is going to happen. So, too, with the Egyptians. The one time would be like, okay, it's a freak axe. You know, two times, still freaky, a little bit more understandable, but it's freaky. Three times already, it's too late. Three times is a chazaka. They believe that this must be it. Okay, but we have to understand reasons for each one individually. Let's go into Dom first. Dom is an absolute unbelievable one. Number one, it's the God of Mitzrayim. Number one, is the God of Mitzrayim, so they want to knock down the God of Mitzrayim. Number two, they threw the kids into the river. So Kaddish Baruch wanted to punish them through the river because they threw kids into the river and caused blood to be spilled. Kaddish Baruch wanted their blood to be spilled. Number three, B'nai Yisrael are known as the Yidgu Larov, that they're supposed to multiply like fish in the sea. That's the Yidgu as a dug, so therefore he got them with the fish. He got them where the fish are, and that's the water. Number four, they didn't allow the woman of B'nai Yisrael to do tevila, to go to the mikvah. So therefore, Kaddish Baruch punished them within the water. And number five, Paro bathed in kids' blood. They have a hole, if you guys see that, that, that oh, what is it, the Haggadah? That was written by, uh, what's his name? The picture I got it, the really good picture I got it, the one that just came out a couple years ago. Uh, Chait. Baruch Chait, I think his name is. That Haggadah has an unbelievable picture of Paro bathing in blood. I remember correctly, I'm not positive I remember this, but in the old version, before it was censored, because it was a little too graphic, in the corner of one, one thing, there was blood in the ba- bath where Paro was sitting. In the corner, there were children's bones. If I remember correctly, that's what it was. I don't remember if I... But I, I'm pretty sure the original, original one, I believe, had the original thing like that. But either way, and they spilled so much Jewish blood, that's the purpose of this maca. So first of all, Dom is absolutely disgusting to drink. 
But the fact is, you can get used to it after a while. If you drink it long enough, you know, if you just keep drinking it, eventually you're going to get used to it. You can get used to drinking blood, and it still is somewhat nutritious and delicious. <laughs> I can't tell you that. I was going to say, how would you know? Yeah, I get, but it's supposed to be somewhat nutritious. Are you a vampire? It's very, um, I can't tell you right now, but ask me in another hour. But I, this, uh, either way, there's supposed to be this sort of a thing. Oh, listen, I mean, Dom is not supposed to be the most healthy thing in the world, but it's not the worst thing in the world that you could possibly drink. So therefore, HaKadosh Baruch had to do a double maka within this thing. It's not only that. There was done. It's that Vayivash uh, Hayor that the river stunk up because of all the fish that were inside it. Thus, we have over here. I'm going to show you the pasuk says straight out. Where is it? And he said, "Send it out." It says we are going to start from this pasuk over here. Here we go. There we go. Pasuk Yud. There we go. Pazachov. Vayasu came Moshe v'Aaron akir shesiv Hashem. He's in Perak Zayin Pazachov. Moshe and Aaron did what Hashem commanded. Vayon b'mate. They lifted up the mate. Vayach es amayim asher b'yor leine paro leine avodav. They hit the water that was in the river in the eyes of Paro and the eyes of all of his servants. Vayahavchu kol amayim asher b'yor ladam and all the water in the sea became blood. Then the pasuk says v'adoga asher b'yor mesa. All the fish in the sea died. Vayivash and it stunk up the sea. Vayivash b'yor and it stunk up the river. And that's when the Mitzrayim couldn't drink water from the ore. When were the Mitzrayim, when were the Egyptians not able to drink? Not when it turned into blood. When it turned into blood, they could drink it. Did they want to drink it? No. But you can get used to drinking blood. When did it get disgusting? When the fish died and stunk up the entire river. The river became polluted. Not only with the blood, but with the fish that were all over the river. So thus, that's one thing. That it was polluted. Pasuk Yud test. The Pasuk says, that's a funny thing. The blood not only went where it was supposed to go inside the river, the river all of a sudden overflowed. And it went over all the land of Mitzrayim, to which the blood was everywhere. Everywhere you could think of. In the Eitzim and the Avadim. Avanim. What that means is it went to the wood as well as the stones. The idols that they had were dripping with blood. They started dripping down with blood, tears of blood. All the stones where they sat on, like their couches, their chairs, what you were sitting on. Imagine this right now. You're standing up and you're just like, oh, such disgusting blood. And you sit down into a massive puddle of blood. No matter where you sat, it was full of blood. Your clothes started to bleed. Your sweat bled. Your sweat was bleeding. Sweat was all blood. Everything that they had was all piles of blood. Their beds, their chairs, everything was all piles of blood. But one thing didn't become blood. Only one thing. What didn't become blood, says the Chassam Sofer? Metal Kalim. But Eitzim Avanim in wood and in stones, it became blood. But not metal Kalim. Why not? Why not? So Chassam Sofer says an unbelievable thing. Magic only works with metals. It does not work with natural objects like stones and wood. So the way to make blood from water, I'm just, you know, if anybody wants to do it tomorrow, but if, it, if anybody wants to figure it out, it all happens through metal kalim. It does not happen through natural things. So therefore, they specifically made sure that the metal kalim did not turn into, did not turn into blood. It, it stayed as water. And that's why Paro was okay and he had enough water. And he wasn't so upset by this maka. He was able to have water because he got all the metal kalim, aside from the fact that they had to buy from Jews and he had a lot of money. All these things, he wasn't as affected by the blood because he was able to do that. Now, that's why the Egyptians were 
we're able to then replicate this. Oh, very good, but we're going to get to that in a second. Vayivash is also a little bit of a question. Vayivash also is a lotion of Havasha, which means wormy. So not only did was there blood everywhere, it was worms everywhere. You know, worms come out when it rains and the worms are going everywhere. These massive worms started coming outside of the ground. And remember, we're in Mitzrayim, which is sand. So these are not regular worms. These are massive tube worms that are coming out in the middle of nowhere that are absolutely disgusting. They were climbing all over everywhere. Slugs. You see these slugs, the most disgusting thing you can think of. Climbing everywhere, climbing up the Egyptians' bodies, trying to stay away, making them all disgusting, making them slimy, making every single place in the, around all of Mitzrayim slimy. And not only that, the water was filled with worms. So even when they wanted to drink the blood, they said, okay, you can get used to it. But it was wormy water. It tastes like New York water. Nobody wants to drink New York water. It's absolutely disgusting. It's, that's what it was like. It was an absolute disgusting water. And it filled the lands with puddles just of that. You felt disgusting. No matter how you were, you felt absolutely disgusting. There's no way to take a shower. No way to get out of it. No bath. No nothing. There was nothing you could do. You just felt absolutely disgusting. Yalku Ruveni quotes down that Paro had a palace. Hold on one second. They had a palace that was inside the blood that was used as a dam in order to keep the Nile River going in a certain direction, that palace came down and because it became all, you know, all blood, it drowned in the middle of the sea and he lost his entire palace from it. There was only one of the palaces of Haro, but he did lose a massive palace because of that. Yeah? Could they buy enough water to take a shower? I guess in theory they could. Yeah, but why would you do it that way? You need the water for everything else. The rich people, I guess you would. Yeah, and the, I mean, what we have. But you felt disgusting. Maybe, okay, we've shown him argue over here and this is getting back to what uh, Ken said before. How did they get water to turn into blood? So we did explain one reason, the metal calum. We had the metal calum. Some people say that they dug into the ground, the water in the ground. The water in the ground was completely different. And some people say other answers, whatever they bought from the Jews and everything. The Rishonim answered in a different way. The Panach Raza and the Das say it never turned into blood. It looked like blood. It looked like it was red. The main maka was not the blood, however. It was the fact that all the fish died and the pollution of the, sea, of the river happened for everyone and everyone was disgusted from the river that was there. It sank up the entire river. But it wasn't really a maka of dam. There was no real blood. He uses it as a more natural thing that somehow the river became red. Now, there is a river in India that once in a while it rains red rain. I'm not so sure exactly why that happens. I tried looking it up. It's very hard to figure out what in the world is going on there. Say some type of acid within the air that goes down within the certain, I don't know, atmospheric temperatures in, on a certain mountain makes the water red. And the red mountain, I guess this water becomes red water and it dis- it's disgusting. It, it kills everything that's in the river or anything that's in those lakes. But there is such a thing. And that's what happened with the Nile River. They give more of a natural way of looking at it that that's what ended up happening over here and that. The Marl Diskin argues. Marl Diskin argues. Marl Diskin says, can't be. Throughout the entire passage, we say, Bahayadam, Biyadam. All over the place, it's Dam. And Efkuladam, it became blood. You can't say that means it looks like it was blood. It means it was blood. Don't get around that. It, it means it was absolute blood. So the Chizkuni and the Moshe of Zakanan, they both say a different type of an answer. They're both types, Bali they say there's a very, very similar thing. It did turn to dam, but it only turned to dam for an hour. Turned to dam for an hour. Then it turned back into water. But because it turned to dam for an hour, what happened to all the fish? They all died. And again, it's the same idea of it wasn't the blood that killed the Mitzrayim, rather it was the fish that died inside the river. But the fact is, it's still that. So the motion of Zakinim asked on himself, that doesn't make any sense. And it's not Makas Dam, it's Makas Havasha. It's the Maka of the stinky up river, stinked up river. I mean, it does sound better when you say blood, you know, if you, if you want to say it in English, you know, blood sounds a lot better. But it's stink up river, stunk up river is really the name for the Maka, according to that. So they both fall off those answers. I just wanted to call you down, the other two we showed them over there. Okay, Tzvardea. Oh my gosh, this is the craziest one. Tzvardea. The Mitzrayim yelled at them a lot. 
So they needed to get yelled back. They needed to have a yell back. That's number one. Number two, they denied God publicly. So here we're going to have the frogs that are going to show them that there really is a God publicly. Number three, they made them collect bugs. Made them collect all these shkats and ramashim. You can imagine collecting snakes and scorpions in Mitzrayim was not a fun job. They made the Jews do that, so the Egyptians were going to get that right back at them. Number four, the cries of B'nai Israel filled all of Mitzrayim. Except for the cries are going to be given right back to Mitzrayim. Okay. You know frogs. Everybody knows the frogs that were involved. Incessant croaking. And people sitting there and going absolutely crazy over the fact that the croaking did not stop at all. Loud noise. The Tana Debei says that they yelled out the word cuckoo. I think that maybe this is the idea of people going cuckoo, where that idea comes from. But they yelled out the word cuckoo. That it came from that. Someone tried telling me it was cocoa, but there's Trump in the, the Tana Debei That's Trump. Nikudos in the Tana Debei that was looking at it said the word cuckoo. That they said that they went cuckoo in that. I don't know. But uh, there's a whole machlo because it was one massive huge frog that they hit and all these little frogs came out of it or if the frog called to all these other frogs to come or if it was just a bunch of oh whatever it is but it wasn't just frogs it wasn't just frogs because that wouldn't be as cool you gotta have a cool knock over here it's poison dart frogs those guys that spit poison you ever see them they like yep. they look like they're toys they look like they're little toys they have them in the aquarium they're like they're all colorful and bright red and you want to go up to them and touch them and they spit you in your eye and you lose your eye these are the crazy poison dart frogs they were all over the place poisonous toads poisonous toads all over the place that were also you go anywhere near them you touch them you can die from the touch of certain toads. If you go on them in a certain way and they cut you, you can die from that poison. Yeah. I thought that Paro didn't respond so harshly to the frogs because there was another thing that wasn't. No, no, the frogs was completely. <laughs> you went crazy about the frogs. We're going to tell we're going into that. Hold on. The Nitziv brings down crocodiles. The Nitziv brings down that there were crocodiles coming out from the river that were going and eating some of the Mitzrayim. The, the Rav Shamsham Rafal Hirsch says it can't be because nobody would be left in Mitzrayim if it was a maca full of crocodiles. Says the Nitziv, it was. It was just a little bit of crocodiles. So there was like, you know, 400 crocodiles that were going around eating certain people. Not everyone, but it took care of the people that they were around. You know, and there, there were crocodiles going all over my time. The Balatorium brings in killer snakes. There were these snakes that were going around everywhere killing everybody. That was another thing. Added on killer snakes. It's like the reptile maca, you know? I don't know if there were turtles, but the turtles aren't mentioned anywhere. The Miamloes brings down a type of... The Miamloes brings down this. I, I was shocked by this. But he mentions a huge lizard that you only can kill by shooting an arrow in its belly. Anybody know what that is? Gila Monster? Gila Monster is close. Uh, they wouldn't have had that, though, because they only live in Arizona. Komodo Dragon? Dragon is close enough. It's a dragon. <laughs> a dragon is the one that by they know as you shoot it in the middle of its stomach and it's able to be killed. They had dragons there. I don't know if they spout out fire. I, I would assume that Komodo Dragons would be the more common thing to be able to have, even though Komodo Dragons are extreme, they're in the extreme southeast. But either way, these Komodo Dragons came by, and they went into the houses. Not only this, listen to this. The frogs crawled into the floors, crawled underneath the floors where people would lock themselves in. They crawled underneath the floor and went up to the floors, the floorboards, and said, Anu Olim, this is the Miyamaloi, says, Anu Olim, Lassos Ritzon Konenu, we are going up to do the will of our masters. Open up for us. The floors opened up for them. The frogs came inside and started wreaking havoc all over all over the entire houses. That was another thing. And then afterward, before they went up to any Mitzri, before they jumped onto an Egyptian and said anything, they warned the Mitzri. And they said, you know why I'm doing this? You did such and such to such a person, and therefore I'm going to go inside you and I'm going to do the following. And he told them exactly what he was going to do. It's one thing to be croaked at and to be have a frog go down your throat. It's yet another thing for the frog to tell you why he's doing it. Because for a frog to come up and tell me, I'm going to sit there and be like, stop it, frog. But that's another thing altogether. Some of them jumped into their stomach as they were being eaten. Some of them tried to eat the frogs. The frogs would have tchiasa mesim inside the Egyptian stomach and either eat their way out or 
croak their way all night long as they were sitting inside the Mitzrayim stomachs. They can't really say this here, but they castrated them and made sure that there was nothing else going on there, as well as took care of them while they were going to the washroom. While they're sitting in the washroom, you feel all safe and everything. Took care of them in many different ways while they're going to the washroom, similar to what we just said about Paro and the rats. We had all that. Bit them while they were in the bathroom. And then, oh, here's another good one. They went and they found people that were hiding in the ground. Certain people hid in cellars in the ground. The, the frogs started digging inside the ground until they found them, went inside the ground and said, ha-ha, I'm here. <laughs> and started going ahead and doing everything they were supposed to do. Tanada Be'il Yahu quotes down this one thing over here. Oh, oh the, the Golem. I forgot about that. It says, Bechader Mishkavecha. The Paro was warned that there's going to be something going in the room of your bedroom. It's going to go in the room of your bedroom. What does that mean? The Midrashim quote down, Paro had a Golem. A Golem is being a statue that moved that he had made after Sarah Imenu had visited Mitzrayim. He made a Golem. He was a tremendous Mechash, a tremendous magician. He was able to make a, a type of creature that was almost human, but not human, and he gave life to it. And this creature he used to use for his own purposes, you can imagine what, it was the likeness of Sarimenu. HaKadosh Baruch Hu was tired of Paro using this type of thing. Nobody knew about it except for Paro and obviously HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu sent frogs specifically to Paro's bedroom to destroy the golem, to destroy this thing that Paro had. At one point he used to go into golems at this point and try to explain what golems are, but there's no reason for that. I do that precious now. Anyway, that's all done. Now, Tanidabe Eliyahu says another thing. And this is an unbelievable thing. Yeah. Oh, very good. Yes, it's a big machlokas. And what that, what that means, it either new gazeros or is the same guy. Obviously, according to historical findings, it's a different para, which leads more credence to the fact that it probably is the same para. So I don't, <laughs> never believe historical findings. All right, anyway, then afterward, we have Sipor Sephardea. What is the name Sephardea? They call it a Sephardea, a bird that is all knowing. Obviously, we know that frogs are not birds, they have nothing to do with birds. So they explain, I don't know if this is crocodiles or frogs. Birds wait to hear if frogs are croaking. If it's a frog, they'll croak to let them know that it's safe to come down into the river, that everything's okay. And that's when birds know that they go down to the river. That's why they know Svardea. The other thing is, is that the crocodile uses it to trap birds. In other words, they do make a noise that the birds come down thinking that it's safe, and then they eat them. That's a very cute little way of looking at it. But either way, it's Svardea, that's another thing. Now Yitzhak Moshe. Moshe Rabbeinu to cry out loud in order to dive. And why do you have to cry out loud? Why not just say Vayispalo? Why not just say Vayetar? Why does he have to say the word of Vayitzak? The problem was that, again, Paro asked him, get rid of all the frogs. So Moshe Rabbeinu said back to him, okay, when do you want them gone by? Thinking, well, what would you say? Right now, right? But Paro said, that's too easy. He for sure is, he knows that the frogs are going to be gone in a minute. And he's going to try to trick me and say, right now, and really naturally it's going to be gone. So he said, tomorrow. He said tomorrow. So Moshe's like, all right, okay. So he davened for him for tomorrow, and he davened specifically out loud. Moshe Rabbeinu had a massively loud voice. Davened out loud in front of all Mitzrayim to go over the croaking, so that all the Mitzrayim and all of Mitzrayim would be able to hear that it was Paro davening, and as soon as Paro finished davening, all the frogs died. Every single one of the... I said Paro, didn't I? Moshe Rabbeinu davened, after he davened, that all the frogs died. Some of them went back into the river. We're going to discuss that next week. What does it mean? Rock by Yaor, Tisha Arna, that they remain inside the river. Some of them just died. And they were gathered up in piles and piles and piles. They say all together that Sparde yeah. Why if Paro summoned Moshe to get rid of the frogs? 
<laughs> why would anyone think that it was under Moshe's control what time he was summoned and what time the frog he thought that since Moshe had been, he said such a bold thing tell me when and I'll get rid of them he thought like oh it must be gone in like two minutes so he's going to say like oh it's really going to be gone and that's the only reason why Moshe had been, made such a bold claim proclaim or whatever that's why he proclaimed that way obviously he was wrong and uh, power should rot and get him okay that's it why didn't why didn't yeah, it's a good one yeah. why didn't Hashem cause the frogs to, to leave in a supernatural way like cause like crazy snows here we go if there would have been a crazy thing that happened to the to the frogs the Meshachachma says it would be a big problem because who else made frogs the magicians the Khartoum were able to make frogs what happened to their frogs magic always disappears just like that it's gone and nothing left right he couldn't let the frogs of HaKadosh Baruch who do the exact same thing because everybody will say oh it's magic just like the Khartoum made it and eventually it disappeared so to these eventually disappeared so he made sure that they didn't disappear rather what happened to them they went to the river they lived they died they sat there and they stank up the whole place there was a tremendous smell and everything but they definitely were around there crocodiles went back to the river the snakes went back to their holes the, the, everybody else that was around they all went back to the right place the Komodo, Komodo dragon went back to Southeast Asia whatever happened they all went back to the right places Kenan Kenan the Jews had to sweep the streets. Number two, they weren't allowed to bathe. Number three, they worked in disgusting places and sweat tremendously. Therefore, Kaddish Baruch brought them lice. No, lice, lice. Lice, you think. Oh, it's the little guys. You know, you look inside the hair. You, you see these the little kids have them. They're that small and everything. Oh, no, my friend. There were 24 different types of lice. I will name you the 14 that are mentioned by Chazal. The 14 are Yerukonin, Yarkuvos, Kifuyin, Kifuchos, Sfifin, Yalemayim, Nifdari, Nif, oh, I'm sorry, Nifchadri, Yali Sados, Nimola, Avieto, everybody knows Nimola, isn't it? Avieto, Aim Kinem, Achshav, Kivin de Chakiki, and Biyuki Bailey. Those are the 14 different types of lights that are mentioned. There's another 10. I don't know where they are, but there's another 10 that are mentioned by Chazal that are all out there. Those lights were there. One opinion of Chazal is that the smallest size lice was the size of a chicken egg. The largest size was the, lar- the size of a goose egg, or two almost large. Two almost large. Those are big. Two almost. Two almost is about three and a half feet. Three and a half feet. That's nice. That's not what you expect when you think of lice. You think of something else. So somebody tried to show me this, and I, I, it's a nice. But uh, there's larvae that have been found in the sea, in the middle of the sea. They say for eels. The larvae themselves are the size of like easy a foot and a half, two feet large. They say that's where giant eels come from, although they've never proven it. They say that the giant monsters, the prehistoric sea monsters that everybody claims are in the sea, that Captain Ahab says, I saw in the sea, that those crazy things, those crazy monsters are all from sea larvae. They're larvae of eels, and the eels grow to be these huge sizes, and that's that. But they've never found one because they're very rare. But they have found these larvae that are absolutely huge. Maybe this larva, there's an equivalent to them on land, although we haven't, thank God we haven't seen them, but there's a type of it's like that and it goes around. It's not so crazy. There is a proven larva that is about two feet long. A foot and a half to two feet long. So it's not so crazy. For it to be two and a half feet, that I can't believe. <laughs> Three and a half feet, no, can't be. It could be that there is something like that. But aside from that, it's very important to know all this. Kinim is missing the Yud in the Pasuk and Perichas Pasuk Yudbeis. The reason why because there were ten Yud, Kabin. A Kav is four Lug. A Lug is six eggs. So it's altogether 24 eggs worth. 24 times ten. 240 eggs 
eggs worth of lice, of these crazy big lice, per Egyptian, per Egyptian, uh, 10 kavin per lice, and a kav is 24 eggs, that's 24 times 10, that's 240 for every Egyptian, filled up all the land around them, it wasn't just the Egyptians, it filled up the land, that the ground was covered by this crazy lice, that when they stepped, it was like stepping in, remember the Goonies, remember that movie from all the way back when, when they stepped inside that place, it was all full of like scorpions and everything, like all the worms and everything like that, that's what it felt like, stepping inside that thing and everything like that, the reason why that's so important is because the Khartoumim could not replicate this Makkah, why not? It's an unbelievable Sefer HaChassidim, Sefer HaChassidim says, Sefer HaChassidim page Shin Chavbez, says because in order to do Kishuf, you must be standing on the ground, you must be standing on solid ground, you can't be in the air, you cannot be on sea, you can't be in the water, the reason why is because there's certain Malachim, and the Malachim of the air and the Malachim of the sea are not Sholeit by Kishuf, the only Malachim that are Sholeit are the, the ones that are on the ground itself, and in order for you to show it means rules. In order, in order for you to do anything, you have to be standing on the ground. Because the land was full of kinim, they couldn't do any kishuf. They weren't standing on the ground. They were in the air. The way to kill witches, by the way, it's a Rashi and Sanhedrin, but the way to kill witches is to keep them in the air. Don't let them stand on the ground. They won't be able to do kishuf. So whenever you come up with a witch, if that ever happens, write this down. Why aren't you writing this down? Either way, so, so either way the way to kill them is by holding them up and by holding them outside. Also, that was by latehem. That's why they couldn't use their kishuf. But there was another latehem, which they had mice shaden. They used the shadim, they used the different demons to help them out and to gather things for them. And why couldn't they use that? Because demons cannot make anything that is less than a barley bean big. If it's less than a barley bean, they couldn't make it. Lice is less than a barley bean, and therefore they couldn't make it. This whole shot is so Hold on. But Atem Kadosha is the shot. Atem Kadosha, in order for a bone to be tummy, you need the size of a lentil bean. That's why they can't make less than a lentil bean because they're based on tuma. Regardless, that's a quick thing in brackets for anybody who understood that. Anyway, but lentil beans is that's why they couldn't make it. Aye, but these things were too almost big. Well, they can't create something that doesn't really exist in the world, they have to gather them in from other places. These huge lice were not really existent within the world. If they did exist, they were already in Mitzrayim. So they couldn't gather, the Shadim couldn't gather anything because none of these were anywhere else throughout the world. So there's two things that Shadim can do. They can either create or they can gather in. They couldn't create it. Why couldn't they create it? They weren't allowed to create it because it was lice are too small to make. And the big ones that they wanted to gather in is no such thing. There's no such thing to gather them in and they can't create something that wasn't there that doesn't really have an existence without them. So that's the reason why they couldn't make it whatsoever. Either way, that was Espelokim. The Khartoumim saw it. They saw the finger of God and they realized that there really is a God in the world. And from this, because it, what in the world is going on here? Look at these freaking lice. What in the world is going on? For that, they went crazy. They saw the finger of God. They all became the Erev Rav. And just to go very quickly, by the way, Balaturim says they bit their faces and entered their bodies like arrows. They came all at once. It was like all of a sudden they had sit in, sat in a garbage, like a garbage deep, a garbage dump for like a year. Imagine sitting in a garbage dump for a year, how much lice would be on you? That's what it was like in a second. It was just like all of a sudden, ah! Like sitting with the garbage all over you, with the kingdom all over you. It ran into their eyes, even if they ran into the water to get rid of them. Have you ever seen those little water bugs? The guys that skip on the river? Those guys ran into them and they started biting them and they swarmed them. So you couldn't escape them no matter where you went. No matter where you went. If you were on land, you got hit by these kingdom. If you went into the water, you got the water kingdom. No matter what you did, somehow you got it. People rubbed themselves up against the walls until they bled, until they were bleeding. They rubbed themselves up to scratch themselves until they bled and then the ticks came. That's when the ticks came along and started biting them. Has anybody ever had a tick before? Painful. Don't trust me because I never had one, but it's painful. It's really, really painful. But either way, that's all that happened over there. That's Keenum. Alright, Arov. Arov. Apparently, Bnei Yisrael gathered the Chayos for Bnei Yisrael. Number two, they killed random people. Number three, they shepherded different animals together. So all of a sudden, they're going to get Arov. 
There's a machlokis, what exactly Arov was. Corn Rebbe Yudo was lions, tigers, and bears. Very good. And there was a lot of lepers, and there was all the crazy animals, gorillas, all the crazy animals that you can think of. The Bartolus, whatever the Bartolus is, we don't even know. The cheetah, whatever it was. That's Rebbe Yehuda's opinion. Rebbe Nechamia, what do you think Rebbe Nechamia says? Rebbe Nechamia says the one thing that you never would have thought of. Gnats, hornets, flies, fleas, mice. That's what came along. And these guys came along and started biting them. That was Makas Aruf. Rashi, Rashi, seems to go... I'm sorry? How is that pretty different? <laughs> so it's more misstabber to say like Reb Nachman. Because all the three previous plagues, I realized there were crocodiles in one of them, but none of the first three killed. Dam, Dam, Svardan, Kinem, they didn't kill. They didn't really kill. I know there was some, some people like, nobody died, nobody died. They didn't poison, you know, they lost an eye or two, but nobody really died. They just had a lot of pain. So, so too Arov is misstabber pain. If you need pain, you're not going to go for a lion and a tiger. What are they going to do? They're going to eat you up. They're not going to just be like, oh, give me your finger. <laughs> That's it. And they'll run away. They're not going to do that. So it's more misstabber. And plus, how did Paro get affected by Arov? How was Paro affected by Arov? We know he wasn't eaten. That would be very hard to understand, but yet he's yelling at Moshe to get rid of the wild animals. Why? What was going on to Paro that he's like, get rid of the wild animals, I can't take it anymore? What was Arov? So it's more misstabber. It makes a lot more sense to understand it as being the little creatures out there. However, Rashi says that it was the wild animals. It's Mamish the wild animals, the lions and tigers and the bears and leopards and whatever it is and everything like that. So what's Pshad? So if you check out Rashi over here, Rashi and Perak Ches Yud Zion all of a sudden goes into Tachsise Melchama. He goes into, oh, so why did the Makos go in this order? Because this is the way of war. And he explains, first you damage the water supply, then afterward you blow the chauffeurs, you make a loud noise, then afterward you go on and etc. And he goes through. Why in the world is Rashi doing this here? Why not do that in the beginning? We start off the Makos, like all of a sudden Rashi's like, oh geez, I forgot to tell you guys. So anyway, you want to know why the Makos happened in this? Like, why did he do it over here? So the answer is something so simple. Rashi says because he had a problem. It's more misstabber to say like Rabbi Nehemiah. But the fourth way of strategy of war is to send in barbarians and to do quick hits, kill a little bit, and then go out quickly. Send in the barbarians, make a quick hit, and then go out really quickly. You know, to send in a quick hit and just like guerrilla tactics to go in. Guerrilla, G-U, not with the G-O. But I but the idea behind, if it was just the fleas and the flies and everything that wouldn't work for the guerrilla tactics you have to use wild animals so to answer up the medrash so therefore it's got to be that Arov is Rebbe Yehuda's opinion that's the only reason why I'm going with Rebbe Yehuda's opinion so therefore why does Rashi say Arov you'll ask why is Rashi saying that it's lions tigers because of because of the strategies of war it must be like Rebbe Yehuda either way that's still shot behind him you should know it wasn't just Stam oh my gosh Arov we could go on about this forever Seder Adoros brings down Seder Adoros brings down Sirens Sirens came in. There's a Gemara in Bechoros Tafchasim and Aleph. Rashi brings down. There's such a thing called Chatsi Dug, Chatsi Adam. Half fish, half man. Yes, it's a mermaid. Yes, it's out there. Rashi speaks about it. Half woman, half, half, not woman. Half man, half fish. That's out there somewhere. How does it exist? I have absolutely no idea, but Rashi talks about it. He says there's sirens. And these sirens, I mean, it's in the Gemara in Bechoros and Tafchasim and Aleph. Yuma, Daf, Nundala and Aleph. Check out the Hamatar game over there. There's a ton of stuff. There are these things that sing and can kill. It's mentioned in the Tami Minagam on page Reish Pei. Now, there are certain types of things that come out of the river, that come out of the sea, and they can sing and kill you so that's through their songs. There are these types of sirens that are out there. They came out, and they were killing the Mitzrayim within Arav. Those were part of the wild animals. According to other opinions,
instance, it was an octopus. An octopus with ten ama long arms that came out and tore off the rooftops of the houses that all the other animals could come inside. Now, obviously, there were all the crazy animals like lions, gorillas, and everything like that. They're traveling. They're going all over the place. The Gra, the Chsam Sofer, Miam Loez, Chanukah Zatora, and Reb Nussan Adler all give the exact same thing that the Pesach says, the Gamha Dama Sherhim Aleha. The Pesach and Pesach Zion says they also came with the ground that they were on. They came with the ground that they were on. Now, that's great. They came with the ground. Ooh, scary. <laughs> What's with the ground that they were on? So they all say the exact same shot. The shot is there are certain animals that are attached to the ground. You guys remember this animal that we spoke about before? There is a crazy animal that Asa was able to kill called the Agnea Sada, which is mentioned in Kilayim, Mishnai's Kilayim, Parachas Mishnahei, that is attached to the ground by a certain tube from its stomach down to a pumpkin in the ground or a gourd inside the ground. There's an animal that's mentioned that way. It's called the Agnea Sada. It's spoken about the Chazal in numerous places. The Rash mentions it, the Bartanur mentions it, but they all quote it down. This creature came, but it couldn't come without the ground. So it came with the ground that it was on. And it's a crazy, dangerous creature. So it had to come with the ground. So Kodesh Baruch brought the pumpkin with, and the pumpkin needs the ground, so they brought everything with, and everything came with, so that this creature would be able to be in Mitzrayim. The Pashup shot behind the Pashup is not that way. The Pashup shot is even less Pashup that <laughs> certain animals will not attack if they're not in their own home ground, if they're not in their home place. So the Tiferes Yehonas and Rabionis and Eipschitz, as well as another couple, there's a, uh, oh, he quotes down in Gemara and Sota, Dafmem Zainam and Aleph, that says, animals will only attack when they're in the right place. So in other words, a gorilla will only attack if it's in the jungle. A polar bear will only attack if there's ice all around and snow all around. Otherwise, they're like, they're for plump. They're like, where am I? What am I doing here? The polar bear will just be like, oh, geez, what's going on? What? I, I'm used to snow. I'm not used to the sand in the middle of nowhere. So they came with the land that they were on. The polar bear came with the snow. Is that why they seem so tame? The gorilla came with everything. I'm sorry? Is that why they seem so tame in the zoo? No, that's because there's no people with them. Go inside the cage. <laughs> Go inside the cage. You'll see. Yeah, they're, they're, they're not so tame. Chimpanzees can rip people apart. You never want to... It's a guy. Chimpanzees are extremely angry. I mean, I would be too if I was born a chimpanzee. But like, the fact is they're that Alicia brought the bears as well as the forest. Why do you have to bring the forest? The answer is because the bears won't attack without a forest. Very good. That's exactly the Gemara that I was just referring to. So either way, all those things are mentioned as well as, and I told you that's not, the Medjagadol, the Endarov. Medjagadol. says classic that uh, it wasn't wild animals. It was the domestic animals. Can you imagine? Like all of a sudden they're like pulling in and they're scared out of their minds because there's a lion out there and there's a tiger and everything. Everybody's crawling around and everything and you're just like, oh, thank God we have uh, little old Sparky the sheep with us here. And then all of a sudden the sheep like turns to them and bears really evil and starts eating off their arm. It's the scariest thing in the world. You can never imagine how scary a cow or a sheep would be if it would start eating. There's a medjah gullah that quotes down that the domestic animals started chasing after them. And there's a riot from the post. We're not going to go into that right now. Yeah. So there's a riot. I didn't know. I didn't know. Dever, Dever, the Jews plowed instead of the oxen, right? So you want Jews to plow instead of the oxen, they stole Jewish cattle, so therefore a Kaddish Baruch made that there was death immediately Parak Tess plus Gimel is the word of Hoya but you should know there were only five types of animals that died and not every animal died. Don't think that every animal died. There's no way because there were animals at the very end that had horses when they crossed, when they went to the Amsuf there were definitely sheep and goats that they borrowed for the Korban Pesach. There were definitely animals around. Let's say 60% of the animals died in Dever. I'm not sure about the number but a certain amount of animals died but only five different animals died. Horses, camels, 
donkeys, sheep, and goats, that's sown, and cattle. Those five animals died. Nothing else died. That's what Dever affected. The Pusik says it straight out. You guys can look it up. You'll find it inside there. Shechin. Oh my gosh, this is absolutely crazy. Shechin, you know what started? A Baruch made Moshe Rabbeinu pull out piach, a handful of piach akivshon, the black suit out of an oven, made him pull it out and throw it into the air and it spread all over Mitzrayim and everybody got these boils all over their body. That is totally unnecessary. You know, God doesn't need that. There's always like, can you imagine? And it's like miracle beyond miracle. Like, Kodesh Baruch said, Aaron, take one. Moshe, you take one. Aaron, put yours on top of Moshe's. Now one piece of ash felt, you know, went down the ground even though he was holding two handfuls of ash in one hand. Still all of it was spinning on his hand and he threw it up and meant, why? Why do that? Why bother with that? Why bother? It was not created in the world. These boils were beyond the boils that you can imagine. You know, like sometimes you can affect boils. You know, like if you have a really bad pimple, you can get rid of it somehow by like popping in or like, you know, using heat or using cold or doing something, taking medicine. You could all do that. These boils were brought about for the first time by Moshe Rabbein. He made it by throwing up the suit into the air. Kodesh wanted there to be a pa'ula, something to happen on the ground and for that to be effective in Shemayim, for a Shemayim, for the heavens to spread it all out, for there to be something for it to affect and every little bit of ash turned into crazy pus filled boils that nobody had ever seen before in their lives he didn't just bring boils he didn't just bring them he didn't make them all pimply and be like for little teenage girls to look in the mirror and say like ah you know for them to have it was crazy boils that were beyond painful something they couldn't have and then there's a whole big thing that Khartoum couldn't even stand in front of Moshe Rabbeinu there's a whole big thing about that okay whatever this is Moshe Chacham we'll go through that later Barad so first of all the Pusik calls it this time I'm going to give Eskoma Gefosai all of my plagues in Mitzrayim. Because you know, it's a strange, strange Rashi. Rashi says that when he says, I'm going to give Koma Gefosai, where is it? It says, here's Shen, here we go. This time, I'm going to send all my plagues to your heart. This is by Barad, by the hail. Why was this all the plagues? And then you look at Rashi, Rashi says the strangest thing. Shamakas Bechoros. Shkula, can I get call a Makos? Makos Bechoros is equal to all the Makos. Uh, Rashi, wrong place. <laughs> wrong place. We're not talking about Makos Bechoros. We're in Barum. They're off by three. What's going on over here? They say a famous thing over here that there are certain places Shamakas Bechoros is really Makas Bakuros. The Maka that hit the early grain. That hit the early grain. Remember what you asked me before? It hit the barley but didn't hit the wheat? At the end of the Parsha, Parsha says it hit the barley but didn't hit the wheat. Oh, thanks. Appreciate that. That was, that was important to know, right? The reason why is because barley, when is it reaped? On Pesach. Wheat is reaped on Shavuos. The reason why, that's why we bring the Omer, which is made of barley on Pesach. We bring the Shtei Alechem, which is wheat, on Shavuos. They come at different times. The early grain was out in, in the open, and that could be hit by this barley, and it could be affected by the barley. That was the Kuros, the early grain to be out there. So it wasn't Bechoros, it's Bakuros, the Maka that hit the Kuros, that hit the early grain. That's the shop behind it. But the other shot is, it used to be, instead of saying Shemakas Bechoros, Rashi had the following three letters. No, one a month, we're into that. Right over here. These three letters, Shin Mem Beis. Shin Mem Beis. And they translated that as, well, what could that be? Must be Shemakas Bechoros. But it wasn't. And then Shemakas Baruch. Shemakas Baruch. That's really what it refers to. They translated the Rashi a little bit wrong. That's what they say in the Kliyakar. The Kliyakar says such a shot. What's a shot? Why is it so bad? You know why? All four deaths 
that we have in Judaism when we kill from Sanhedrin, we're involved in this makkah. Skila, Sreifa, Hereg, and Chenek. Skila, because they were stoned from Shemayim. Sreifa, they were burned from the fire that was within the snow, that was within the, the hail was not only hail, it was also fire, which we're going to, oh my God, the coolest thing in the world. Anyway, Hereg, Hereg, is because when the makkah's bard came down, it sliced through some of the Mitzrayim. Sliced through them. It's like a sword, slicing right through them and knocked off their heads or whatever it is, knocked off their bodies as they were standing out in the open. And Chenek, strangulation, is because it rained like crazy. Some of them drowned and they strangulated themselves within the water. So all four deaths happened within this Makkah and that's why it was such a crazy Makkah. is the greatest one, the one that's all of my deaths that I give to Bnei Yisrael when they, when they have Sanhedrin, all of my Magifos came within this Rashi. Okay, that's one thing over here. The crazy thing about this is normally it doesn't rain in Mitzrayim and over here it rains. We spoke about that before. Kishuv cannot bring rain. There's no way for magic to bring rain. That's one thing Kishuv can't do. The same way you can't predict weather. So how about that crazy snowstorm on Sunday at the Bears game? What was it? They were predicting like 14 inches. 14 inches of snow. 14 inches. I don't even know how the Bears are going to play. 14 inches. And when I woke up that morning, I saw the feather duster of snow on my car. I'm like, oh, I, I might not be able to drive to Seoul today. And I brushed it off and I drove. <laughs> you can't predict weather. You can't predict weather. Yeah, and then they go in. Just cool this down for everybody. You know, they keep saying that like global warming and the weather, it's been the warmest winter, warmest winter, and they say global warming, right? You know what they say? It's been the warmest winter since 1910. Was global warming the reason why it was such a warm winter in 1910? What's the reason why it was so warm in 1910? I, I realize there is such a thing as global warming. I'm just going crazy about this. I even wrote it into a newspaper. I'm like, oh, why in the world is people, people going so crazy? What happened in 1910? Why are people going crazy? What happened 90 years ago? What happened? And I'm sure we haven't seen everything. I've, yeah, yeah, there's always going to be something. I'm just saying, like, obviously, I know there's going to be something about global warming. I just had not. It's a pattern, right? So there's a pattern. So how do we know it's global warming that's, a, that's doing this? Maybe it's just a pattern. So, I don't, do we know? So we have no proof that it's from global warming. Do we? I don't know. I'm, I'm going a little crazy about it. Anyway, anyway, I don't know. As much as I believe Al Gore, because I find him to be a very truthful politician, I don't know. I, I'm, uh, I'm, signed, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of off on all this. Either way, regardless, I was joking about that, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> as long as everybody knows that. I'm just a Democrat. Okay, either way. Last thing is, they targeted the Mitzrayim. Borrowed when it came down, targeted Mitzrayim. It was like one of those like heat-seeking missiles that came down. It was like, you know, like going around, searching for them, and hit them as they were going through. That's brought down by Amidrash Rabbah. The last thing is, and I found this this year, Rabbeinu Ephraim quotes down, that uh, when it went out, the fire inside it let out a little streak of fire behind the snow. He said it looked like little comets that were coming down from Shemaim, snow on the outside, fire coming back from the, you know, from behind it. So when it came down, it looked like a hail ball that was streaking fire from the back. If that's not the coolest thing you've ever heard of, I don't know what could possibly be cooler. That's what was hitting them and going down. And then they caused, they caused crazy snow on the ground and then fire on top. There's a whole grape shot as to why it had to be this way. Think about what happened. There's fire, water, and snow all at once that are happening inside this Makkah. What's going on here? Fire, water, and snow all at once? How's that possible? I just saw, I just saw in a Peanuts comic not too long ago where one of the guys said to the, I don't know, whatever it was, one of the guys said to the other, um, said to the other, you know, snow is great, but it would be much better to have in the summer where you could stay out longer for it. You know, you could stay out longer for the snow. You could play in the snow longer. It's like the person said back, oh, what idiocy, you know, something like that. So I was looking at it, I'm like, that's shoppy on borrowed. It's for sure. Like, he was Machavin to borrowed, and perfectly on this week's Farsha. Like, it's the snow, it's everything, it's everything you want during the times of the
of the summer, during the times of Pesach, the perfect time to have it. There's no better time to have Barad. It's like the perfect time where people could be like playing in the snow and then playing in the fire at the same time. Why is this? It wasn't a fun maca. Why why is this during the summer? I thought that this happened specifically. You're right. This is most probably Adanditeves. You've got to remember, though, Mitzrayim is on very near the equator and right near the Sahara Desert. So the winter over there is not exactly the coldest winter that you've ever felt. It's the winter of a lot, which is 62 degrees at the coldest, you know? Okay, but it's still colder than the summer. Definitely true, definitely true. But the idea is you have snow in such a place. That's the basic idea. Anyway, we're going to end with that. I think we did not get to the Dalakosos, but that's all good. Explain the Makos. I knew it would take me a long time. All right, guys, have a good show.